So, you know, ideally we would use a different song every episode, ideally something from the movie, but YouTube's a bitch with copyright, so I wanted us to use something that, like, we're not going to get sued over, so it is the uh, the band of some of my good friends, Goldblum, everyone check out Goldblum. The lead singer is a very, very good friend of mine. He and I agreed to watch a basketball game, it was playoffs, he is a supporter of the Milwaukee Bucks, they were playing the Boston Celtics, and uh, The Departed, as you know, is set in Boston, and prominently used throughout the movie is the song Shipping Up to Boston by the Dropkick Murphys. I arranged it so that when he walked in the door to see his beloved Milwaukee Bucks, myself and my partner were wearing Boston Celtics outfits and Shipping Up to Boston was playing just as loud as humanly <laughs> possible and he just cried and cried. So yeah, there's a weird link between that and our intro song which we'll play right now. I can lead you astray, straight to hell if you like. Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is There Will Be Movies, Volume 1, 2000-2009. Myself, Matt Waters, and Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? I'm doing it earlier than I'm usual. Good. I know, it's, it's, it's been a while since we recorded. I know, but yeah, you and I, we are doing 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. So uh, we have reached episode 13, and that means it's time for 13 episodes in, our first Best Picture winner at the Oscars, The Departed. Uh, some would say Martin Scorsese's best movie, apparently The Academy feels that way it's not but i quite like it which is why i picked it is it his best movie of this decade well gangs of new york and the aviator came out this same decade and i was expecting a strong push for gangs of new york i think that is most people's preferred out of those two i just have always preferred the departed to gangs of new york i mean gangs of new york has got like this fantastic central performance but i do think the departed probably hangs together a bit better gangs of new york feels like every single person in that movie is doing what jack nicholson is doing in the departed <laughs> yeah that's absolutely Absolutely fair. From the moment I, I remember seeing trailers for this movie, you know, we've talked before about as we advance through this decade, where our sort of the way we experience films was changing, and you start to hit a point where you're not seeing movies on TV or seeing them years later, you're seeing them in the cinema and stuff. And I remember the trailers for The Departed and be like, whoa, look at all the famous people in it. I think I was always fixated on it, and I was like, oh wow, cool, slick, gangster crime type thing. And for a while, I probably thought it was a much better film than it is. I still think it is very, very good. But yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that, like, once upon a time, I was quite obsessed with. So, written by William Monaghan, who wrote Kingdom of Heaven and then a bunch of trash, quite frankly. But it is based famously, or not that famously, because, I mean, I wasn't paying super close attention to the credits, but I didn't see anywhere in the beginning or the end of The Departed that acknowledged, based on the movie Infernal Affairs, which is a Hong Kong film that came out a few years previously. I hope it is in there somewhere, kind of shitty to not acknowledge that, because I feel like it must be because I like WGA rules. You would think because it's not just the loose plot. There's an undercover cop who has infiltrated a crime gang, and there's also an informant, uh, you know, or a dirty cop who is is helping that gang, and they're both looking for each other. It's not just that loose plot. There are so many small beats that they take, like for like, including the most specific one I could see was when they give the the job of looking for himself, Matt Damon's character in The Departed, when he's tasked with that by. 
Baldwin, they're doing it at a driving range and they're talking about, you know, marriage will make people think you're, like, you know, more stable. That exact scene is in <laughs> Infernal Affairs. And, you know, the calling and saying I'll be late for supper or, or dinner or whatever. It just There's so much in there. I can't believe it's not in there anywhere. But what do you think of Infernal Affairs? Because I think this is probably one of the first examples I remember of, like, oh, whoa, Hollywood movies just rip things off? So I, 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 I hadn't seen it until we watched it for this. We watched... I watched both movies. You watched both movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched yeah. it again. I've I, I'd seen Infernal Affairs quite a while ago. I've seen all yeah. three of them. But... And, I, and I think, obviously, I'm jaded in that. I'd seen The Departed before once or twice. I watched it before I watched Infernal Affairs this time. And so going from one to the other, especially when one is kind of playing more to sensibilities that I'm used to, it kind of plays better. And I'm sure there are people out there who, who watch a lot of kind of like Hong Kong crime cinema or police cinema and stuff like that. They would go, like, this is a shiny example of like what makes this genre and kind of like things so good. Whereas for me, I'm sort of going like, yeah, but I miss the hour at the start that kind of like digs into Leo and Matt Damon. Because I mean, you are, you are hitting that like big... You know the sting that they do on the att- on the sale of its drugs and infernal affairs, microprocessors, and the departed. You are at that within like a half hour in infernal affairs, and that's like halfway through the movie in the departed, or maybe not halfway, but it's at least an hour. And like they add a lot of stuff that it's been speculated they basically mushed up all three infernal affairs into the departed, and that's not quite true because they leave out large chunks, and like there are whole themes that they just have no interest in in The Departed, but they take some of the stuff with, like, the backstory of the equivalent of Billy and him being connected to a crime family, and they, they, they pepper all that in with the backstory, because in Infernal Affairs 1, it's just he's just a cop and he was chosen, and then you later find out, like, in Infernal Affairs 2, that, like, he is, I think he's the half-brother of, like, an heir to a crime family, which is very much like the raid, and yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, they, I think obviously, it's a, Infernal Affairs is a lot shorter, it's a lot quicker, and it is praised I mean, for yeah. being so sli- like tight and slick, versus The Departed being this big, grandiose thing that at times I think gets a bit self-indulgent and is definitely too long, but then you also get these like monster performances from like Jack Nicholson, and I prefer The Departed, but I think Infernal Affairs is a very good movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, because like, I, I have very little experience with those kind of movies, and I have watched like a fair chunk of Asian cinema, but normally what I do, it's not kind of like your John Woo, your yeah. Well, like the, the heavy action stuff. Yeah, I mean, Infernal Affairs in the first place was loosely inspired by Face Off by John Woo. So there you go. That's all come full circle for you. It is a really sleek movie that goes really, really quickly. And you can appreciate that. But again, it's like they're both going for different things. Mm-hmm. And I do enjoy how The Departed kind of like makes it so much more adult for seemingly <laughs> no reason. It's like in Infernal Affairs, they go to a cinema and they like pass notes and stuff like that. And it's just a cinema. And then, but in The Departed, it's a porno cinema. And <laughs> Jack Nicholson's wearing a strap on and <laughs> yeah and like even even during that scene where they're, they're playing golf and they're like dri- the driving range and stuff like that the conversation about like what you need to do for a wife oh, yeah, is so much more graphic without like, Baldwin's talking about it lets people know your dick works and you know, yeah <laughs> all of that sort of stuff instead of makes people think you are stable and, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of cultural differences uh, like peppered throughout like naturally maybe when they come up and might point some out I think that one of the biggest differences is the Sam character, who you know Jack Nicholson's equivalent, is nowhere near as big and flashy of a of a part 
as Jack Nicholson's is because I, I feel this entire movie changed once they landed Jack and like they so crafted the movie around him and like he got to improvise a lot and it's just like they gave him this big sexy part and they modified the story to give him more to do and stuff like that and he is the big talking point I think in terms of the acting performances in this and yet he's the one that didn't get a nomination no the nominations for this very very strange <laughs> um, so should we, should we go into the Jack of it all yeah because because it's like this is such a polarizing performance. There are people out there that are like, this is one of the hammiest, broadest. Really? I think yeah. it's great. <laughs> like, that's, that's the thing is like I'm I am torn in that I think he brings a lot to it, but I also think he is like something out of another movie, and mm. I think it helps at points where like he's like this bolt of lightning that kind of like brings life to a scene, but also it does kind of like at this point it's like oh, okay now he's we're gonna have like big broad jack doing his thing yeah. and like we're gonna cut away to him like clapping cocaine onto this his <laughs> poorly developed like maybe prostitute girlfriend yeah it, it is enormous and a bit wacky in a movie that is otherwise like grim and super serious yeah i just, yeah i think it's sort of you take the good with the bad and like you wouldn't have gotten some of the great moments if you hadn't let him just completely cut loose with some of the sillier ones like doing a rat impression um, yeah and stuff like that there's, so. but there's like there's like all those interesting things where the scene with because like, one of the things they do is in both infernal affairs and departed billy's got a, a cast which they like smash at points but like in the departed it's a whole scene and it's tense and like there's build up to it and whereas in Final Fantasy it's just like he grabs his hand just slams it down on the table and then yeah, and just off. no reaction that would hurt man <laughs> <laughs> unless it's not a legit injury which it may not be in that but for sure so you talked about most of 2006 when we covered Children and Men this was released October 2006 uh, same month in the UK but I think a few weeks later. If you want to talk about like the opening weekend for this or any more of the Oscar stuff with it, go ham. Yeah, so uh, October 6th, like this opened number two at the UK box office. Really? What beat it? Yeah. Devil West Prada. Of course. Which, a, a superior movie. movie. I don't know why we didn't do it. Devil West Prada is so good. It is. Why didn't you push for it? I don't know why I didn't push for it. <laughs> Let's restart the whole podcast. Come on. I just want to talk about Stanley Tucci. Yeah, don't we all? All the time. Uh, the UK box office departed did about $4.3 million. Fair enough. Like, pretty solid in the UK. Yeah. There's, le- there's less of us than in the US. That's true. I can confirm that. But then, like, let's, let's, so this is a pretty dire list of movies <laughs> at some <laughs> points. Actually, it gets better as it goes on. Number three was Click. Okay. Number four was Hoodwinked. Oof. <laughs> yeah. The shitty 2006 animated movie not by anyone who you care about. No. Anne Hathaway had the number one and number four movie at the UK box office that week. <laughs> number five is World Trade Center. Oh yeah. Number six is the sequel to The Crown, The Queen. <laughs> okay, yeah. Number seven, Children Men. We covered that last yeah, week. Yeah, we did do that. Wow, still hanging around. Eight is the accepted. Nine is Little Miss Sunshine, which almost made our list. Hmm. Number ten, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Is that one that you love? I feel like that. I love it. I think it's it's funny. It's got its moments for sure. And that's that's our top ten. And yeah, this is our first Oscar-winning picture against all odds because I don't think it's the best movie we've covered so far and we might even cover better ones than it going forward as well, and in this decade at least. But yeah, the first one to do it. What was it up against, do you know? Babel. Okay. Which, no. No. Letters from Iwo Jima, which is really good. Ah. Little Miss Sunshine, also really good. Yeah. The Queen. Again, like, like I like four of those movies. Yeah. Babel is the weakest. Yes. And they make it up to Inuritu next decade. <laughs> so, like 
a common trope is that if an actor or a director has been snubbed repeatedly, they kind of give them an Oscar for what is inarguably a weaker movie than they've been nominated for or not even been nominated for in the past. But like, I still think The Departed is probably the best of those movies. In, the, in like, I don't think it's like a. It, it probably is the one that I'd give it to at the end of the day. Like, yeah. maybe I think maybe Let a Zoom Machine was a better movie. I definitely think if Pan's Labyrinth and Children Men had been nominated instead in that category then mm. those would be what i would pick but the oscars didn't do that so no, didn't. We're, we're, we're left with what they actually nominated yeah it is crazy that it was scorsese's first movie like the second most famous filmmaker after spielberg probably and and this was his first one which is kind of crazy like i think someone i think famously one of the reviews said that scorsese had made a truly great movie in every decade of his career it's certainly up to the departed i don't know if that is still true in this decade a hugo's really good Okay. Oh early, yeah, Hugo, totally. Sorry. Yeah. And early buzz around the Irishman is, is saying it might be his best movie of the decade. We'll see. And there's people who adore Shutter Island as well. Oh yeah. Oh, and Shutter, Shutter Island. And Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, it's well directed. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like yeah, this is a this is a man who has Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Departed, Hugo, Wolf of Wall Street. However, you want to split that. Like he has a great movie in every movie every uh, every decade since the seventies. Which is insane. And this is also, I believe this is still true, the only movie to win an Oscar that is a remake of a international movie. I think that is still true. But it was certainly in, true. In it was certainly the first or... one to win Best Picture that is a remake of a foreign movie. Yeah, no no one since then has done that. So, it is 151 goddamn minutes long, which is too long by at least half an hour, but... Hey, ninety million dollar budget, two hundred and ninety-two million at the box office. Half of the budget went on paying all these actors. Unsurprisingly, cause... how much? How much did Jack Nicholson command? Because I've been I don't know but... listening to another podcast that's been talking about what Jack Nicholson, Nicholson was up to at this point in time, and he was commanding some seriously insane paycheck requests. Well, if we're saying it cost forty-five million dollars to pin down Leo, Matt Damon, Alec Baldwin, Mark Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Jack Nicholson, are those the biggest net like i doubt everyone else in it was making a huge amount compared to them but Wahlberg was probably getting a surprisingly high amount compared to some of them baldwin they could probably cheap i don't know i i don't know like if there's 45 million to go between all of them would it be crazy to say jack got more than 10 million uh i I, it would be probably close yeah it's an insane star-studded movie but warner brothers and brad pitt bought the rights to remake Infernal Affairs in 2003. They paid less than $2 million for it, so a nice return on that investment. And uh, Monaghan's script impressed Scorsese, who signed on. He did not know <laughs> Infernal Affairs was a thing until he'd already signed the contract. And I wonder if he would have agreed to do it if they told him that up front, uh, that he was remaking someone else's movie, but hey-ho. Brad Pitt was originally supposed to be in it, playing the character of Colin Sullivan, Matt Damon's part, but there are one of... There are Two possible reasons he dropped out, and I can't find it a 100% confirmation. One, to star in Babel instead, which got the Oscar nomination, but it's not a good movie. Or it was decided a younger actor should play the role, so he stepped back. He remained the thing is, I wouldn't wouldn't want to see someone... Because Brad Pitt's quite a bit older than Leo. I wouldn't want to see... Like, it is more interesting that they're quite close in age. But I would have... I think I'd buy the Babel one a bit more, because, like, I still feel they would have found a role somewhere else for Brad Pitt. If he wasn't 
Sullivan. Like, oh sure, you could you could slot Brad Pitt into this movie as the Mark Wahlberg character. I was exactly going to say he should have been the Mark Wahlberg character. Hey, this is Mark Wahlberg got his Oscar nomination for this. <laughs> he sure did. Against all odds, Mark Wahlberg was. He the is. He actor. is. He is the actor who got the the nomination because even even Leo did not get the nomination for yeah, this movie. I, Instead, he got it for Blood Diamond. Indeed, I'll, with, I'll with his you, fucking terrible. I'll give you some trivia on that in a second. Kenneth Lonergan, Lonergan, who wrote Gangs of New York, he was the one that suggested Matt Damon. Scorsese wanted Al Pacino for the role of Frank Costello, but had to settle for Jack Nicholson. Um, and then once they got Jack, he wanted something a bit juicier for the role than just a gangster. So the other big way that this differs from Infernal Affairs, obviously set in a different place, but Frank is loosely based on the famous mobster Whitey Bulger, and they added all of that stuff in to suit Jack Nicholson, and they hired a technical consultant who spent three decades investigating the Irish mob in Boston. And Jack, so Jack Nicholson is probably the world's most famous LA Lakers fan, and he refused to wear any Boston sports iconography during the movie because of his intense hatred of Boston because of the Lakers. Because Whitey Bulger famously uh, wore a Red Sox hat all the time. And uh, Nicholson said no, and they could not talk him out of it. So there you go. Here's a fun one. Leonardo DiCaprio dropped out of making The Good Shepherd to do this movie. Matt Damon took his role in The Good Shepherd. Robert De Niro turned down the role of Queenan, which went to Martin Sheen, to be in The Good Shepherd. And Alec Baldwin is also in The Good Shepherd. So there you go, a weird tie-in there, like we had with Royal Tenenbaums and Ocean's Eleven. So I guess that like the Good Shepherd must have been like filming when they needed Leo to do his scenes. I think Leo's got more to do than Damon does in a lot of ways. Like, and Damon's are all kind of like in one set. Like Damon, Damon kind of like flits between the apartment and the police office, whereas. Leo Leo's like... out doing stuff. <laughs> I, I can't believe this is true. They were looking at Tom Cruise to play Billy, and there's no way that's true. He's far too old, even then, to have played that role. I know, a, a Tom Cruise Brad Pitt poster. I guess if you want to look at it like that, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I think you'd have to have him be in in the field for longer mm. than this movie kind of implies. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, the movie jumps around a bit in time quite a bit, because obviously the, the opening scene in this movie is what is a Frank kind of like in shadow. It's weird how they, you don't get to see Jack Nicholson's face for quite I a while. I figured they were trying to hide his age, but then he steps <laughs> out of the light and he's got the dyed hair, so... But like, it, it's all very much like him kind of d- going around doing errands. He runs into a kid at, at the shops, or the... the I don't know what, what that guy... Is, it, is that a bodega? Yeah, it's the same one that Billy beats the shit out of the two Italian guys in later. Right. And then basically just gives a load of money and, and groceries to this kid, indebts this kid to him. Turns out this is Matt Damon's character and basically starts paying him off, yeah, sending him to police school. Took him under his wing at an early, early age. So that opens... <laughs> Chad Nicholson's opening narration, setting a wonderfully racist tone that carries on throughout the whole movie. Well, I, I don't know if it is racist, but there is a lot of racially and sexually charged language throughout this movie that is I guess I just took it for granted the first few times I saw it, but like hearing Matt Damon just cursing up a storm towards the firemen using F-bombs and I'm not talking fuck. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening here and like Nicholson dropping an N-bomb and yeah, it's quite something. Like it's heavy, intense adult stuff as you said earlier on. But then you also get, there's there's this streak of like black comedy 
in this that starts with this opening bit where like they him and Ray Winston like shoot these this couple and he's like she fell funny and stuff and it's like they will take this all the way through to the very end where there's this kind of hyper realistic in a funny way a lot, when people die they kind of die in quite a funny way in this movie and it's I don't know if it feels out of place because they're trying to make it all grim it, and everything but it definitely sits better with me than what they do in Infernal Affairs where like anytime any character dies the mm. music swells and it yeah. becomes like <laughs> well it's a different style of I, I, I know but it was like watching it it was just kind of like every single death was like the most melodramatic serious thing in the world yeah. and then there's this movie where like <laughs> the end is hilarious <laughs> quite frankly <laughs> I don't know if they were going for hyper drama but it made me laugh so yeah so Matt Damon's character Colin uh, grows up to join the Massachusetts State Police becomes a detective obviously still maintaining his ties to Frank who is you know the biggest gangster in all of Boston and he is put to work trying to bring Frank down. The thing I struggle with this is, mm. like, it's not... I think this is better in Final Affairs, where, like, is he good police? Is he good at being a policeman? Yeah, is, like, is his only blindside the fact that I don't think he, he could. Frank? I don't think he could fake his way through the training. Obviously, Frank feeds him information that allows him to, like, advance quicker than he rightfully would, but I don't think he could just... Like, he couldn't just pass the marksman training and the detective's exam and all of that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just, like, we don't see him do any actual police work. Like it's not like we see him doing a good job in everything. Hey, but Frank, he figures out those two guys are from Providence. Okay, <laughs> that is certainly a thing here. Where one of the another big difference is they want you to feel sympathy for the equivalent of this character in Infernal Affairs, and they they really go big on him wanting to get out of this life because he wants to do good and get rid of his past. And he eventually fucking descends into a mental breakdown that makes him think he. He is Leo's character, and he like accidentally busts himself, and he's trapped in it. It's it's a whole thing. Whereas I feel they do not. Very rarely do they try and make you feel sympathy for Sullivan. Like I think they they're going for like this guy's just a Weasley little prick who's just after himself. Yeah, but um, I mean, and, and Matt Damon does it really well. Matt Damon Matt Damon plays this really really well, and I appreciate that. Like this movie builds in a reason for what. Like there is a reason why he turns on Frank at the end. Yes. Exactly, yeah. Which and they don't really give in Infernal Affairs, it's just like... Well, that's, the, that's what I'm saying, the difference is he just actually wants to get out, versus here where he's kind of, like, wounded by a, a revelation that he wasn't aware of and stuff. I don't know if Matt Damon had exclusively been goody-two-shoe type characters up until here. I mean, you know, like... I mean, he's, he's done two Bournes at this point. Yeah, true. I don't know if he'd played a villain, though, you know? I mean, like, I know it's a sort of, in theory, a tragic, sympathetic villain, but it's he's still, like, just a prick. There's not a lot redeeming about him. I don't uh, know if it I, was fully he has, he has played a villain. He has played a villain. He was Donnie in Eurotrip. <laughs> True. His best performance. So, meanwhile, Billy Costigan, played by Leo, is recruited. He is also attempting to get into the Massachusetts State Police, but he... They pull him out of training, and are like, look, you have some family ties, loosely to Frank's operation. Like, his cousin is a drug dealer who, I guess, gets his stuff from uh, Costello's outfit or whatever. So they're like, you're going to go undercover with them. 
and you have to do some time in prison to sell this lie that otherwise it's gonna look very obvious why we've done this so yeah and you just get Mark Wahlberg being the biggest asshole in the world to him when they're giving him this briefing and I've never liked this character and like when I think of Mark Wahlberg other than the fact that he's like a racist and stuff I think of him in this role and like what a big asshole he is. Ray Liotta turned this down, Dennis Leary turned this down, Mark Wahlberg himself turned it down repeatedly before he was talked into it, and uh, he said he based his performance on the many policemen who arrested him. Uh, <laughs> legit, legit, many, many times. I he went really to like, prison I for really a like crime. Sorry, go on. I really like this performance. <laughs> yes, he's well suited for it. Martin Scorsese told him his accent was so thick they'd need to subtitle him. He is one of the true Boston boys in this movie. Yep, him, Matt. I think that's is it. that is that is that it? Is Martin Sheen Boston boy? Oh, possibly, but not in the same way. Yeah. <laughs> no, Martin Machine's from Dayton, Ohio. Oh, well, there you go. That makes sense. He's a Midwestern guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah, Dam- Damon is like thickening his up. I feel Wahlberg is just talking in his normal voice. He's not trying to like be understandable to. I think. I think media. one of the best, the best praises, or one of the best things I've ever heard about Mark Wahlberg is Mark Wahlberg is only good in movies where he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's got a fucking massive hey, chip on hey, his shoulder. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, but just him just cursing him out while Martin Sheen's just sitting there just doing nothing about it it's like is this your good cop bad cop routine like no it's just this is just how this guy is like yeah. just a, <laughs> he's he's good at what he does but also we just can't control him we just kind of like <laughs> fire him up and let him go <laughs> so you know you see colin like rising up and like he has a friend at the beginning who becomes important again at the end but you'd be forgiven for forgetting he exists but like he makes a comment to him about like if you're okay with coming to work dressed like you're about to invade poland fun fact the Nazis based their uniform on the Massachusetts State Police, allegedly, because a Harvard graduate was a big old Nazi, and he uh, was like, yeah, I always admired their uniforms, let's do that. So that's a, that's a niche piece of Boston trivia there for you. I like James Badgedale. Oh, he's is that James Badgedale? Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. I'd never recognise him with hair. <laughs> yeah, he becomes important again at the end, but yeah, yeah, he you get Colin, like, staring at the state house and, like, brave of Matt Damon to just do the most dumb fuck look on his face with his tongue, like, hanging out while he, like, stares at this building uh, while he's buying the apartment and, like, this becoming a focal point for him of, like, aspiring to a better life and he thinks by having this... Which which house. does lead to the... Can, can we do the, the fucking terrible final shot of this movie? <laughs> the CGI rat. <laughs> the CGI rat overlooking the, the state building. Yeah. And he's just like, ah, oh, it's a visual metaphor. Yeah. You went one too far there, Martin. It's not just the rat that's CG. That view does not exist. That apartment yeah. is nowhere that near the state. Yeah, because it's all it's all green screen. Like, every single time you're in that apartment building, I'm looking outside of the windows and stuff like, this is not real. This it's looks perfect. They shot that angle of the state house with, from the roof of Suffolk University, where Colin says he's taking night classes. There you go. There's a lot of trivia about this movie. I'm sorry, everyone. And Are speak- you saying that Martin Scorsese has fans who are kind of a little bit extra and will like, no. really dig into his movies. No, and just coincidentally, I happen to know that the mugshot you see of Jack Nicholson is taken from Batman. So there you go. So yeah, Billy does his time in prison for assault, and then ingratiates himself with Frank's operation via his cousin, and Frank, to make sure he's not a cop, tortures the shit out of him. As you said, he smashes his cast, and then just hits it repeatedly with a shoe, and it's... Ugh. So helping him out. Ray Winston's accent is fucking terrible. I don't know how he 
got this role other than just being sort of a swirly, gruff, middle-aged man, which I guess he's visually right for. Like, I guess I could buy him as, like, a mob enforcer, but just, I don't think he's got the acting chops for this, and he and Nicholson did not get along. Good get for him, possibly his biggest role, I don't know. Uh, he had Indiana Jones a couple of years later. Yeah, but in a good movie. <laughs> like, uh, he's in Troy, isn't he? And again, a good movie. Uh, he's in Hugo. Oh, okay. Obviously, you got, obviously you got along well okay. enough with Martin Scorsese. Okay. there you go. You see, so I was saying to you before we did this, this might be difficult to cover because it just relentlessly goes back and forth between... This is the most plotty movie I know. that we've done so far. I know, I'm going to try and speed us through it to get to just the stuff worth talking about. But like, you know, like you see Billy assaulting the guys from Providence... And then Frank has to step in and have them murdered so that Billy doesn't get murdered. And then Colin solves the case because Frank feeds him the info. And like, yeah, it just weaves back and forth and back and forth. And it's like all set to music. And the whole goddamn thing feels like a two hour montage almost. And it's, I was scared about talking about it, but I think we're going to be okay. What's interesting to me is that the movie, what, what it does with time is that the first few scenes are kind of like quite sequential. Like they take place, like obviously there's a jump between Billy going to prison getting out of prison then after that everything kind of follows like it's probably a couple of days i guess yeah yeah maybe a couple of weeks yeah but then as the movie keeps on going you start getting these like bigger and bolder time jumps it starts to get more apparent that like a year has passed since we started watching this movie yeah but it it, it just starts to like get quicker or like the jumps get longer and stuff like that as it kind of builds up tension it's just quite interesting to watch the movie kind of jump ahead in front of things and kind of like skip over beats of relationships whereas the early days of it are very much like we're going to show you all the steps of how this works and it begins to trust its audience more and more as it goes through to kind of go like well now this relationship has progressed to this point and it's now changed in this way rather mm. than have to show you yeah so yeah that that like torture scene is fucking brutal i also really like so obviously at first he's wearing a wire but then um you know frank may even suspect when he's waving around that amputated hand <laughs> and then just billy just freaking out and running to the bathroom and just getting rid of the wire i think you know for as wacky as he is i think that's an example of where nicholson is really good with the physical stuff when he's just handling objects and stuff and fucking around with the wedding ring and then so Colin's team are briefed on these stolen microprocessors that Frank is planning to sell to China, but obviously he continues to help Frank and, like, you know, helping him out with tales and all that sort of stuff. But he also meets police psychiatrist Madeline, who is played by Vera Farmiga. Farmiga? Farmiga? Farmiga. Farmiga. You name him, Scorsese wanted him to play this role. Kate Winslet, Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt, I feel, is in more casting rumours than any other actress. Hilary Swank, Jennifer Aniston, all looked at. Imagine if they had Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. A wonderful world. They eventually settled on, uh, on her, and I think she's great. I think she's a really good actress, and I wish she... I don't. I wouldn't say she doesn't have prominent roles, but like I always enjoy her work, and I wish her role here was a bit bigger. Like They've, they've sort of amalgamated all the female characters in Infernal Affairs into this one role. And Which I think makes it more interesting. Yes, I think directly tying the two together by this shared love interest, while it potentially... I think they didn't quite do it. I would have liked to see her get a little bit more to make it seem more... I don't know. I, I would I would take some of the stuff they give to Frank when he's on his own. Like, any, any scene where Frank is not directly interacting with Billy or Colin, I think, is kind of wasted screen time with Frank. And I would much rather give it to, to Madeline. Because the, the thing is, like, even, even this is a drastic improvement over the two female roles in Infernal Affairs, in that Colin's girlfriend in Infernal Affairs is 
the most nothing of nothing people. <laughs> like she just kind of like, oh, look, this house is nice. I'm writing a book. I don't know if the person's good or bad. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all. Whereas it, whereas very familiar, uh, familiar gets to chew on some stuff. And I mean, this is a very masculine dominated movie. Like you can name about ten or twelve performances in this movie who are more central to the plot than she is. But then she is she is kind of the heart and the crux of a, like a lot of the breakdown in that she is the person who Billy talks to about his emotions. Like even, even she does not get rolled into the plot until the very end when the tapes arrive. Other than that, she is basically just a sounding board for kind yes. of like Colin and Billy to say their emotions. But I, also th- she- I, I think she is appropriately enough as she's a psychiatrist. She is a good window into both of their minds uh, and like their declining mental states in different ways and stuff. I kind of wish she had a little bit more, but hundred yeah, percent. I yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I know mean, it's a movie which could which could use a more feminine touch. Yeah, yeah, it's so hyper masculine. Yeah, she has fantastic chemistry with both of the guys. I think Colin hitting on her in the elevator and be like, "I'll shoot everyone right here if I get to go to dinner with you." Like, I it, think all that, that... plays so weirdly. Really? In 2019, I guess. Yeah, no, I, mean, right, it, yeah. I mean, I mean, in terms <laughs> of like, it's something I believe that someone would say in the in the kind of like more modern context of what we've kind of seen happen with the American police force. Yeah, okay. Over the last like five or six years, to have a police officer openly say, "I'll shoot everyone here," you yeah. just kind of go like, Ugh. "Yeah, okay." I I forget. <laughs> I mean, our cops don't kill people, so I forget these things. I think him going out of his way to try and seduce her. I think you know, engaging the sort of charming Matt Damon. I think he's good there and then obviously you see where it goes from there but yeah I, I, I think it's fun those two like getting dinner and everything you also get this scene where like so Fitz who's this incredibly Scottish man that works for Frank he gets brought in and Colin like plays both sides he impersonates Fitz's lawyer so that he can get Fitz to warn Frank because to and he also like gets the, the cops to turn the surveillance camera off and yeah it's like he's letting him warn him without giving himself away and then like they almost catch them or whatever so he doesn't lose his credibility and yeah it's it's a it's a good scene this whole you know all your mum told him you won't be there for supper that kind of thing and it i think it's a slicker thing in infernal affairs where like he dials the number under the table and gets him to yell out loud what he wants him to say over the phone and stuff like that but i think it still works it's, it's like a, a fun little i think every time one of them is like very much at risk of being exposed it's it's incredibly tense and it, it builds from here but so billy has to meet with madeline as well as part of his assignment because you know he's undercover for quite a while and he's exposed to all kinds of just rampant violence and horrible shit and i mean he's almost definitely suffering from like ptsd yeah i really like when when him and, and french storm that room and someone throws a plastic duck at his head and it just bounces <laughs> off and like there's no need for that. Thing is, but then immediately afterwards, doesn't he get shot in the head with the bot with a gun with a bottle over it, yes. and then like the blood spatters across the entire room yeah. and hits Leo in the face. Yeah. Like... Yeah. So she initially refuses to prescribe him Valium, but after he makes repeated comments about his stress and thinking about killing himself, she caves. So Vera did consult with a real police psychiatrist who basically tore apart the script in terms of like what this character is advising. Like this is terrible, terrible thing to do for a therapy like to entertain like a suicide threat in that way and, and like to cave and give him the drugs when she's admitted that he's 
like seeking drugs it's a whole thing like i think like you were saying it could use a feminine touch obviously billy is going through some very intense shit but like i don't appreciate the degree to which he gives her shit you know like i think that could have been pulled back a tiny bit for he, he starts venting at her in a very weird way yeah it gets a little bit i don't think he's actually threatening her but he's like sort of cussing her out a little bit and be like you know when he's saying like and what if that had been a real threat and like i don't know yeah it, i think that could have used another pass do you think she knows or has an inkling that he's undercover well she's a police psychiatrist that's the thing she? she's a police psychiatrist and then she gets this random assignment to this guy who's yeah. been in prison and all the rest of it is like i'm well, gonna I, go along with this, well, this i makes... guess i guess the cover story is he is a wash you know he is a dropout of training so where maybe it's like you know a wellness program where we feel that we need to offer counseling to failed poli- i don't know i feel she should have just partially been in on it or something uh, and entrusted to keep that secret but yeah like you are you are under under oath you will be talking to our undercover officers yeah and like she doesn't need to say they wouldn't need to tell her what he's undercover on or anything i mean i guess he's telling her that in some ways but yeah i don't know so she moves in with colin like we as you said like we're advancing quite rapidly through time and like she's like about last night and she's like comforting him about his impotence and this was matt damon's idea to counterbalance frank's like hyper masculinity that like yeah colin should be impotent and like the the guy is just there's a life of issues that need unpacking and he is very much not willing to go there and i think she's really great throughout the movie at like doing these sort of facial expressions whenever he's like waving a red flag you know like sort of a oh yikes that's a thing you've just said or done but then she keeps quiet and i I think she's she's great are we up to the infernal affairs portion of the movie now yeah i was i would say yeah so colin is surprised to learn a sting operation is going down imminently to sort of you know try and catch costello trying to sell the microprocessors and uh but he does manage to warn them and uh, the sale goes ahead so you get you know the, the the scene where he's he's calling and saying yeah i won't be home for supper and he's like oh my friends are still coming and you know just that ten- and like doing it right in front of i love how lax this whole thing is like they've got the scanners looking up like phone calls coming from <laughs> anywhere and stuff like that and like no one's like this is a black operation like no phones phones at the doors and stuff like that like yeah. we can't have any anything getting out and all the rest of it and he just boulders anything whips his phone now it's just like hey dad i'm not gonna be home for dinner yeah queen and just being like I trust your son. It's like, oh, jeez. And you got Billy texting in his pocket like a teenager in school. I like that they're using the Patriot Act to do all of this, <laughs> like monitoring all the cell phones and the, the the tense moment when, like, there's a single phone still on and then Queen and, like, checking his phone and being like, no, they're there. And then the, the dot disappears. It's like, I the tension throughout of them, like, constantly being like, hey, we'd really like access to your undercover guy. That'd really help us do our job and everything. And you understand why they have to withhold it because, I mean, you know, the whole fucking plot is uh, there's a goddamn rat in the operation. But, yeah, like, that very real tension between different departments of the police, I think, plays really well. And For whatever reason, that tension between the um, different departments just made me think of True Detective Season 2. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly okay television. <laughs> we get more racism from Frank towards the Chinese buyers. I never know how to feel about this kind of thing because it's like, yeah, this guy's not meant to be a nice man, but, like... Someone wrote this in a script. Exactly. 
Right. I always wonder about, like, when they put in ethnic slurs, like, as white writers, like, when they have, even when it's, like, a black actor who is using the N-word in a script written by a white dude, like, did they have to, like, nervously walk up to them and be like, so, I think... In the case of probably the most notorious person to do this, Tarantino, I don't think, walked up coyly to Jamie Foxx and was like, will you read this line? Yes. I don't think that at all. Maybe, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the reasons why Will Smith didn't take the role. (laughs) He said he didn't take the role because he didn't like it was about he said it should be about love not revenge or something like that I feel Will (laughs) Smith's moral obligations against certain films has softened greatly over time (laughs) but hey Hey, he's in one of the five highest grossing movies of the year so far yeah that's true I really 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 love Alec Baldwin just his fury at that tech support guy who's giving him shit about like you know oh, you gave us two hours like what do you expect to happen and there's a blind spot how's there a blind spot how you know boats could get in <laughs> just grabbing him and just like slapping him and everything yeah uh mel gibson turned down the role of ellaby played by alec baldwin uh to go and make apocalypto they just wanted all the angry white men is, in this movie didn't they is alec baldwin's george ellaby like the most incompetent person in this movie because like every every decision he makes is the wrong decision that's true but every decision like it sure is funny though it goes unsaid and he doesn't get any comeuppance at the end but he's like they tell you not to pick someone with a clean record but I'm still going to do that because guess what I've got a clean record (laughs) and it's like right so you're you're giving it to the literal mole and also you are bad at your job hey well guess what motherfucker he survives this goddamn movie which you can't say for most (laughs) of them I also when Wahlberg says that thing he's like I'm the guy who's doing his job you must be the other guy I think I say that about once a month I also I really like the that I think it later turns out that they gave them fake microprocessors and they all got arrested with them and he just still has them or something. I don't know. It's it's like a very in-passing line, but a good tense little scene and like, yeah. In Infernal Affairs. See, what like, is your we, problem we... with Morse code, Ben? <laughs> so in, in Departed, with four years later, mobile phones are a much more prevalent technology. Well, you say that, but then Infernal Affairs is set in a part of the world where the technology of phones is several years ahead. Oh, sure. But like, it's more interesting that Leo's having to text in his pocket yeah. rather than yeah and like and but then in, in, in Infernal Affairs Tony Lung stood by the window just kind of like tapping yeah, out yeah, Morse yeah. code yeah well and... he learned the Morse like the Morse code comes back in, in the prequel Infernal Affairs 2 you'll be thrilled to know so great yeah yeah but then also you get that clever thing of like they throw the drugs in the water so like while they catch them they can't prove that it was drugs so they get such away a, such a dumb yeah but then you get the one scene I think they should have brought in and they don't is when they bring in Sam and he's just sitting there merrily eating and they have this sort of tense face-to-face conversation. The closest you get is um, Frank has that little conversation with uh, Dignam Dignam and Queen. But it's like out in the open. I don't know. I think it would have been kind of cool to see him in the interrogation room just smiling his ass off. But that that scene is so it's like all these burly men are stood behind (laughs) this guy and then the police force come in and they're both stood on either side and it's like there's so many of them it's like is this how it would really work would you really get like all 30 men stood behind this guy hell yeah so yeah this whole failed well Frank gets away with it but this whole thing that almost goes very wrong for them but then they get away with it this is how both sides 
know that there is a rat somewhere in both sides of the operation. So Billy insists that they feed misinformation uh, to that unit to confirm it. And meanwhile, Colin asks Frank for social security numbers of everyone who was at the sale. Uh, So they're both, you know, looking into it. And Billy meets Madeline for a drink and asks about her boyfriend. And she's like, yeah, I, I I would totally lie for an easier life. And it's like... This is where I feel she should have gotten a scene in between, like... Like, it just feels unbelievable to me that they would go for a drink after their, like, incredibly aggressive first meeting in that first therapy session. I was like, I kind of would like to see how we got from there to here. Did they run into each other? Is it prearranged? I don't even... It just feels like they just were like, oh, let's go get a drink. I imagine it's like we don't see all their therapy sessions. It's just... Oh, of course, of course. Um, You also, as I said earlier with the red flags, this is where you get... Colin refuses to let her have photos of her childhood around the living room. And he's like, you know, you don't see where I came from. I'm not seeing yours. And it's like, listen to what you just said. Like, you don't talk about yourself and she isn't allowed to have that same thing. And like, the look on her face as he's walking away. And he's like smiling about it. Like, ah. But, yeah, it's a good little beat about, like, yeah, this guy, he has just been this dirty cop for so long that, like, what could he say about his childhood at this point? Like, he's been working for him since he was a kid. But, yeah, Billy also learns that Frank is an FBI informant, and, uh, yeah, he tells Queenan, and he ends up tailing, so, Frank has got this envelope full of the, the the information that Colin wanted and he they meet at the porno theatre like you said and uh, Billy tails Frank to it and he only sees the back of his head and he's like wearing a baseball cap and it's at night and all that so fails to get the visual ID and, and they get separated and Colin totally just stabs a dude which yep. <laughs> doesn't happen in Infernal Affairs yeah like fuck me I guess so, I, yeah. w- w- one of the things I do really appreciate is the difference in like the writing on the envelope because in, in Infernal Affairs it's just like well it's played different I think this is another cultural difference where like the joke in The Departed is Fitz is a little dumb yeah he doesn't know how to spell Sith whereas like I feel like like it, in Infinite Affairs it feels like it's a joke on how difficult it is to remember all of the words in, yes. in Mandarin yes exactly is it, man- is, it ma- is it Mandarin I guess I'm, I'm sorry everyone I, I don't know what it is. Like, I know that, like, Japanese kanji uses Chinese symbols. So yeah, maybe like, it's like, also called kanji? I don't know. You've got, you've got, you've got, so you've got simplified, which are kind of, like, sounds. Mm-hmm. And then you have different, different kanji that relate to a word. And because... so this is, this is them basically going, like, does anyone know what this word is for a symbol? And so he... Well, he, like, steps in, he's like, oh, you don't know how to spell it, and then he himself misspells it. Like, it's his own misspelling, and then he thinks about it, it's like, oh, no, no, it's this. And it's just, like, a more subtle version. And, like, it's much smaller on the envelope as well, so it's, like... It's more subtle, but it also feels less... Like, it, like it's not even a word that's related to what they're talking about. Well, no, they're, they're asked to put their job history, and he's talking about bodyguard or something. Oh, uh, okay, there, that's... Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's just one of the many differences. It's Cantonese. There you go. Um, yeah, the movie is in Cantonese, and my friend, who is from Hong Kong, will murder me. Excellent stuff. So it was Nicholson's idea to whip out the dildo, or the strap-on, or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, they just let him run wild. I want to be that intern. You have to, who, you have to fetch Mr. Up, Nicholson a strap-on, please. <laughs> like I, it's back in the era where they have to get out like the yellow pages to find out when the nearest sex door is. Yeah, I need I need your biggest blackest dildo, please. <laughs> and can I can I have the receipt so I can expense it yeah. to so I can expense it to Warner Brothers? 
I work in the movie business. I do really like the, when Colin is telling him, he's like, I'm trying to, I've been in charge of like finding myself. Sooner or later, you're gonna get demoted for failing to find yourself unless you can pin this on someone else somehow. I think him stabbing a dude is very much out there. And nothing comes of it either. No, exactly. For a, movie, for a movie where so much kind of like falls into place and like repercussions happen, that is just kind of hangs in the open. Yeah, a good like tense tailings. It's not really a chase because they're walking, but yeah, it, it's good and tense. I totally just glossed over the fact that this is the part of the movie where Billy sleeps with Madeline. I have to tell the story here. Okay. Me and my partner were watching this. She hasn't seen The Departed before. Mm-hmm. And my computer started hassling us for updates. So I basically said, like I said, like, right, we're going to watch 15 more minutes of the movie because it's getting late and we'll just come back to it tomorrow evening. Yeah. The movie stops at the exact moment just before they're about to start kissing. And and I have never had a stronger death stare from my partner <laughs> than the fact that the movie cuts out just at this point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a very good scene. It's steamy, it's hot, it's good stuff. They use the live version of Comfortably Numb that I think it fits it really well. Like, is it raining outside? Yeah, I think it is. It's raining. He's, he's wet when he gets in. Yeah. Oh, and she's... Anyway, uh, she's she, she's gone back to her apartment, even though she's supposed to have moved in with Colin at this yes, point. Yes, and like the and, picture and, is there and stuff like this. It's like both clumsy and good, but you know he the difference between him and Colin. He like puts the picture up and wants to talk about it and everything. And it's like, uh, and he accurately guesses she's been having cold feet about moving in with with Colin and stuff. And and also just we've seen that Colin had I don't know if he's regularly impotent, but you know he had a trouble. And then, like, Billy is, like, the world's most passionate lover and, you know, all this kind of stuff, like, putting them directly against each other. And, yeah, I just feel if we'd seen more of their therapy sessions or seen more of, like, how we got from angry to going for a drink to sleeping together, like, I think it would have come off better for her and, like, seen more of, like, her dealing with the red flags of Colin and stuff. Like, I'm very cautious when movies are just, like, casting women in this role where it's just like, oh, she just couldn't resist him or whatever. It is a detriment to the movie in that it's so plotty it doesn't have time for character stuff and I think and I think it does it does a good job in that it does knuckle down and kind of go like we're going to give Billy and Colin more character and it does give Madeline more character than Infernal Affairs which yeah. is this tight 90 minute thing yeah. but at the end of the day it's still so plotty and all they do is they kind of add more plot to they what's do. going on they do a lot of it's really good like I really appreciate because obviously like just after the chase scene there's the scene where Colin sits down to like bring up surveillance camera of the area to see whether or not he can figure out yeah. who the mole is. But there's none of that like CSI enhanced <laughs> kind of bullshit. He's just kind of like zooming in a little bit on this image. It's just like, it's a black blob of a yeah. white guy from Boston. As someone who has had to review CCTV footage a lot, I can confirm it's fucking shitty and you can never identify anyone. Is this this person? Uh, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they're wearing the exact same clothes when I next see them. So yeah, Frank and Billy have a very tense discussion about the rat. They each threaten each other and Frank kind of relegates Billy from an upcoming operation to kind of test if he's the rat but he passes this test and uh but he doesn't know well he passes it well enough for their liking (laughs) he passes it well enough but the thing is because the thing is they're expecting him to immediately have some kind of like response to it because he does immediately he gets told you can go home he talks to the guys outside who are having the conversation the really funny conversation about how can you tell who a cop is they invert how you can tell in this because it's like yeah if they don't pay attention to you they're a cop whereas in Infernal Affairs like if they seem like they're doing something but they're looking at us they're cops 
sorry. And both are true. That's the whole joke of the entire thing, yes. is that <laughs> both of those situations are completely true. So yeah, most women are cops, it turns out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, he drives off, he calls Queen and is yeah. just like, well, you need to do this now, there's going to be a job later on today, blah, 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 blah. Like, and then when Queen and's just like, I, is he not in the office? Or like, there's something he's, he he wants to talk to him in person before he tells other people. And it's only because Queen and decides not to report up the chain that Colin doesn't get to find out that something is going to go on ahead. Which is the only reason he passes, is because Queen and protects him from the knowledge, like, because he knows that there is a mole in his side as well. Leo called that, that conversation, like, when he and, and Jack are sitting at the table, I think it's, like, even the image for it on Netflix. Um, he called it a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and Nicholson improvised a great deal of it, including... I love when people do dumb shit with guns in movies. Like, we talked about it in Training Day with Denzel, just batshit stuff with those pistols. When he, like, pulls out that gun, like, he's, like, surprised to see it. Leo didn't even know there was gonna be a gun in that scene. Like, that is legit. <laughs> just Jack pulling out a gun and just, like, looking at it funny. Like, I think he is so good here. I think they're both very good here. But, again, you get that overacting going with it as well. So it's like, yeah, you gotta take both sides of it. But it's very tense. And, like, it, it does definitely show how much time has passed because, like, early on, Frank was, like, slightly bemused by Billy, but still very, like, keeping him at arm's length. And by now, he's able to kind of threaten Frank and get away. I mean, he threatens him right back, but it's like, I feel if he'd done that in their first meeting, he would have just killed him or something. But... Yeah, it's, it's quite, because obviously, like, he builds up this rapport or this re- reputation or whatever. Because obviously, like, the reason why they're having this meeting in the first place is because he skipped out on being locked in that room with everyone else early on in the movie. Yeah. And so, like, that's the reason why everyone's kind of like, Ooh, is is this the one? And why he's presumably the first person who gets tested. Yeah. Again, he's literally only safe because someone else decides not to report <laughs> up the chain. Yeah. So Leo and Martin Sheen had to ride the subway 100 times to get the shots of them on that train when they're trying to, like, you know do their covert meet-up while he's being tailed and everything. And yeah, they, they have their conversation on the roof, and Queenan has, like, fully agreed to, like, get him out and everything, but that never happens because Queenan gets thrown off the fucking roof. Which I feel is, like, a monumental mistake on the behalf of... Fitz is there, Delahunt is there, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's such a monumental mistake on their side where it's, like, at the end of the day... Oh, yeah, it's Fitz, yeah, totally, because Frank, like, slaps him around and, like, shouts at him, doesn't he? Yeah, and it's, like, so much of it is is early on in the movie like Frank has that conversation with Dignam and Queenan and like they know each other and so much of it is kind of like dogs sniffing around each other and they do want to get this person but they're not going to break the rules of combat or whatever like mm. they're not going to openly go and kill the police officer who's investigating them even though they know they're investigating them it's so much more subtle than that whereas this is like they throw him off a building because they think he's going to tell them where the malt, where the rat is but he doesn't but it just kind of like it, it feels like a much bigger moment because they kind of break these unspoken rules of like how you do this yeah and it it certainly massively escalates everything even more than it had already been escalating over the past year and everything and Dignam gets suspended and they start getting to work on unlocking Queenan's files it's like I don't want to you know really dwell on this but like how good can security really be where when actually motivated with the same presumable like tech support they can't get into them like I I don't know but yeah and uh Delahunt like there's a big shootout after this because you know Colin sent his people to tail them and then and then Frank's men 
Hammond showed up and this character of Delahunt who is like the third in command or fourth in command he figures out Billy's the rat because he's like oh I gave you the wrong address and you still showed up and then he dies so they, the police say you know oh he was a police informant and Frank is like oh they're just saying that to throw us off whereas in Infernal Affairs Sam fully buys that moment that it's like ah well I found him I guess I can go back to trusting you all it's interesting because I think that is what we're supposed to think is that the police leak that he is the informant when he isn't and it's supposed to make Frank look more intelligent because he like sees through it immediately exactly yeah like Frank comes across as way smarter than Sam does like that he's like just so savvy he's been at this for so long like he even talks about like I don't need the money I don't need the pussy like I don't don't need anything I just it's just what I do I'm just me but yeah like and and you get that whole moment and also the equivalent of Delahunt in Infernal Affairs is like this big emotional moment and like these two are like really close and like he figured him out ages ago but it's like oh but we're still brothers and yeah it's a very very tonally different thing so there's so much blood in that bit as well I know know. there's so much blood (laughs) I know so uh Colin calls Billy from Queenan's phone asks him to come in and then uh, after learning that Frank is an FBI informant Colin leads the police to his drug deal rather than diverting them away and Colin ends up shooting Frank after confirming nobody knows his identity the scene where like he's got this idea to call him and like for a minute like like he takes ages to answer and then when he does they're both just sitting there on the phone to each other silent because it's like this thing of like does he know I know does he know I know and I think it's a really really great moment because obviously these two haven't really had any scenes together like they he walks past him at the very beginning Colin is kind of able to get away with it in a way that like Billy is fully exposing himself the thing is Colin says all the right things exactly yeah even though the moment he says oh Dickman's not here anymore should be so suspect mm-hmm. to him but I guess he's like he's got so much trust in you, you have to think he's got so much trust in the police institution that like oh they wouldn't let the the rat get that high in the organisation where he would be the next person in control of the witness or the, the, the undercover police officers so yeah this is the big difference where like Colin is like wounded by the fact that like learning that he's an FBI informant is what kind of motivates him and then like I think he has the conversation doesn't he like try and talk them out of doing the drug deal he's like nah I'm doing it and he's like right well off I go I guess and it's kind of like he sees the opportunity to kind of protect himself because he like it's it's interesting how it plays out though because he does all the stuff that he's asked of like he removes the tail from Frank because obviously there's a scene earlier on in the movie where it's like oh well, now I'm in charge like the tail's going to be super obvious yeah, and then like when he's asked to get rid of the tail, he gets rid of the tail. But d- d- does he like just magically figure out where they're going? Or no, I think already... he knew. I think he knew. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to figure out how he phrases it to the police to go like, this is where. We... Oh no, it's he he says that. Oh, he says that he's got you know he's got his that... guy. He knows. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think in Infernal Affairs they like more explicitly agree to work together to to bust the 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 mobster. Um, That's the thing is because the movie the movie cuts away from both Billy and Colin after their conversation, yeah. so you don't know. I think, I think you're together. supposed to infer that like he gave him the location of the deal and then like he doesn't go but and I, I like that like you know after it all sort of goes to shit like he hears the ringtone and he like comes around the corner and they have that like and Frank was 
ready to turn on him. Like, he, he raises his gun. I think he even fires a shot. But, yeah, Colin pops him. And, and after, of course, confirming nobody knows about him, but then, like, that's clearly untrue. That must be the reason why the FBI thing sticks, is because he doesn't know, like, this is something he can give the FBI if he really wants it. Yeah. The FBI also feels vaguely incompetent in this movie, considering the only FBI agent we meet is Bobby Warburg. <laughs> so Colin is decorated for his work of bringing down Frank, and then he finally meets Billy, but after he leaves the room, Billy spots that envelope, the one that says citizens on it, so it's like, oh shit, this is the guy, so he fucking legs it. And then, panicking, Colin erases him from the system. Yeah, do, do you think Colin was going to do that originally, or do you think Colin was going to I think he lie? was going to do his best to just get away with it, and it would be more complicated to kill the rat than to just let him, or to kill the informant uh, than to, uh, yeah, I think he was going to pay him, and, and and get him out of there, and it read to me like he panicked, and was like, oh shit, he's going to expose me, I need to get rid of him. Because I think it's because he goes to look at a different computer, does he need to go into a different room to look up? Yeah, yeah, but he doesn't do it though, does he? Because he could have um, done it that time, he goes back to do it. Yeah, I don't know, maybe really... he just doesn't want to look him up in front of him, like he wants to figure out exactly what he could or couldn't know, or something, I don't know. Because that's, that's the thing, is we see him trying earlier on to look up the name, but he doesn't have Billy's full name. Like, he types in Billy Costigan and then says, like, no records found, whereas what he really needs to be typing in is William, William Costigan, Costigan Jr. Jr. Yeah. And again, it's a tense scene where, like, Colin has all the cards kind of thing, because he's still sort of protected, and, and like, seeing him conduct this conversation, like, yeah, I, I, another good one. Like, it's always tense when they're about to find each other out, or whatever. Uh, is this the biggest time jump we have after this? I don't know how long it's meant to be, because, I mean, Madeline, Madeline's pregnant. And it's Madeline's cl- pregnant. It's clearly she Billy's. One, she has one more meeting with, with Costigan. Yeah, it's clearly Billy's, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, obviously. Yeah. Okay. If, if, one of the, if one of them's impotent. <laughs> and he also, you know, he approaches her with a sealed envelope, and he's like, you know, in case anything happens to me. And she just shoves it in a top drawer or whatever. I like that she labels it too. Like, sorry, <laughs> but this man you had this affair with, who's like probably one of your most notable patients, he comes to you with this big envelope and this big ominous message. Like, you wouldn't just remember that on site. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it is a big time jump after that. Yeah, because because then like he disappears and and like the implication is that Billy's got to do some stuff. Yeah, he does. Um, digging through the... the yeah, like, because Frank's dead, Billy gets the opportunity to kind of, like, get the tapes that Frank records of every single conversation that he's ever had, and then sends a recording of Colin. Is it the one about, like, getting rid of the tails, or is it... One it was the... the one when Madeline answers the phone, and he's, like, using the voice changer or whatever, and right. they're talking on the balcony. It's that conversation. I can't remember what it was about now, but... Yeah. In one of the weirdest diversions from Infernal Affairs, where, in Infernal Affairs, like, the reason why the two two of them meet each other yeah. is because they're buying high-end audio equipment from each other. That little moment plays at the very end of the third one, and it's, like, one of the big enduring moments from it. I think, like, they recreated that set as, like, a public attraction in Hong Kong or something. It's, it's like, a big thing, and, like, they never meet in <laughs> Departed, and they don't have that sort of mutual history. But, yeah, it's this big callback because he has this big high-end stereo, and it's like, oh, they, they delivered it, and, like, here's this sample CD and it's it's the recording whereas they maintain this big hi-fi setup but it's got no like emotional connection it's more just like yeah, he's in the rich part of town and he's got fancy stuff because he's living the life he is. And Madeline decides to play it because the, the girlfriend does play it in Infernal Affairs, doesn't she? She does. And she gets very annoyed at him. 
Yeah, and she leaves him, and, she, and she's out there just knowing. Because he survives, that's the big difference. Like, his character lives, uh, whereas everybody fucking dies and departed. Madeline listens to it first, and then Colin gets out the shower, and she rips the headphone thing out, and he listens to it, and... Yeah, there's a CD, it says on the front, play me, and then it's got a number. Oh, a phone number to call him, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because he, like, immediately shuts it off, like, oh, this is just, uh, you know, it's like, she's just listened to it, dude. Like, you can't make it go away. <laughs> yeah, and he calls him, and he's like, Frank left everything to me, how fucked up is that? Like, right to the end, he trusted me more than you, and... Because Colin sees him as a father, in a way that, like, again, this isn't an Infernal Affairs, because, like, he obviously part of of the whole secret code thing is calling him dad over the phone but then it is also very like his actual father is ostensibly not around and like this man has been his mentor his whole life and it's like it is a very real betrayal there that like that's what comes between them is that like like Frank trusted Billy more than Colin he's like yeah I've got way more tapes and everything it's like then they have the big meeting on the roof and he tries to arrest him and everything which is dies. which is great which is great because he tries to arrest him mm. and he just beats the shit out of Colin. <laughs> yeah, he does. Totally does. Like, it's like, oh, how's this gonna go down? It's just like, no, I just kicked his ass. And like, yeah. I really, like, we get more of the slurs and everything, but I really like Colin's attitude. Like, he's going through the playbook. It reminds me a bit of Denzel and Training Day, where it's like, he starts off really cocky, he's like, yeah, good fucking luck explaining this, this is gonna be fucking fun. And then, like, as the elevator is going down, and you just see the floors changing, and he just, he drops the thick accent, and it goes into, like, what you're used to from Matt Damon. And he's like, just fucking kill me. Like, like I'm fucked. Please just kill me. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, everybody dies. Everybody dies. Billy calls one An- of his friends from training. Anthony Anderson. And Anthony a role Anderson. that almost went to the RZA. And we've seen Anthony Anderson as, like, being on Colin's team. Yeah, he's like, you know, and he's like, earlier on, he's like, why did you use my phone? He's like, because you didn't go in there. It's like, so he saw, like, he doesn't suspect him, but, you know, he's open to it. Because he's like, you know, I've got proof. He's like, maybe you do, but I have to arrest you or whatever. But then he does let him get away. And then <laughs> fucking Leo gets fucking popped by um, James Bashdale, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it, it was great watching this with my partner, who, again, had not seen the movie before she gasped every single time one of those gunshots happened yeah because i mean you just don't expect it like it's not that like he has to live to the end or anything but it's just, he's, he's about to win yeah it feels very premature it's like boom it's like you know there's like another 10 minutes in the movie and it's like oh he's dead and then like they kill anthony anderson as well right? who comes down the stairs and yep. then you get the revelation that but james badgedale was also a rat yeah he was the second rat all along and, and then he's like come on help me clear this body into the into the elevator as soon as he leans down yeah he hands Colin the gun to like wipe his fingerprints off or whatever and then (laughs) shoots him he just shoots him yeah you just get these like uh, three murders in the space of like 20 seconds it's just like it's so much to process almost and like you're like oh okay yeah and he's gotten away with it and this plays out almost the same like there is no Anthony Anderson character in Infernal Affairs but similar thing where like you know he shoots him and then like he shoots him and it's like okay Colin's gonna get away with it all. Except, um, except so in, in a film of hers, it's like, it's all done off screen. It's like, they, they get in the elevator, and oh, then... Oh, yeah, you don't see that second death, you? yeah. No, it's in the elevator, and then basically it ends, and like, he the, the, he's rearranged the bodies in the um in the elevator, and he gets out, and... Yeah, it just emerges, and he's like, oh, I'm a cop, and I shot him, and everything. So yeah, you like, you see him, like, recommending Billy for the fucking Medal of Merit, just like he said he would, and like, they go to the funeral, and Madeline just leaves him, <laughs> 
and just walks off and it's like you know does she have the baby who knows and it looks like Colin's gotten away with it but he's lost Madeline but then he comes home and who is waiting for him but Dignum who just shoots him again another quite funny death because he's like okay and just the gunshot and he's just like oh shit I'm just like falling down in a very undignified way and and then you get the fucking terrible CGI rat across the balcony. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I love I love so much of it. Like I I like that that Sullivan tries to bit make it up at the end when he get, tries to get him awarded the Medal of Merit, and obviously like tells people that Costigan was a cop because like he gets the police officer's funeral, yeah. which in Boston is obviously like quite a big deal. And it's like little things like that where it's like he's not really a bad guy. It's just or, I just or, like, I think he's just a very selfish guy, a very like, yes. self-preserving guy, and like you know if he. He's meant to be an orphan like that is a mindset that makes sense that he's trying to like look out for himself whereas i think, I think the character is called lao in, in infernal affairs he legitimately is like i want to just be a good policeman and erase my past and i feel guilty about it and all of that and that's where that difference comes in and like he comes to like revere the equivalent of billy's character and everything but but the, the other thing i quite enjoy is this uses boston very well this yes movie. yes it does because like like in infernal affairs like where they have the meeting on the rooftop is in a busy office building and like with a, with a stupid amount of floors and <laughs> like they, they they keep on meeting on the same floor which is like a reception and all the rest of the stuff whereas in The Departed it's like old disused building with no one around mm-hmm. and it's all being worked on it's all very destitute and it's kind of like that part of Boston's kind of falling apart because you can see the sign in the background where like everyone gets killed and like there's <laughs> there's other there's businesses in there but like three of the floors are vacant and yeah. all these kind of little bits and pieces as cheesy as the rat <laughs> cheesy as the rat is it ending with that view again of, of the state house like like it was everything he wanted and like he seemingly has that life that he like, obviously bummed about Madeline but you know he's still living in this swanky apartment he is out from under frank he's gotten away with everything and there is this is what he was aspiring to but like yeah it's all taken away like it's at the last minute he is he is murdered and everything and you, you get that thing of like you know animals don't like him like the yeah dog. like that i love the dog does not go anywhere near him because it's not subtle but it's fun. yeah no it's sometimes you need a good thing like that yeah so that's the fucking departed it's long as shit but it's really really good and there's a yeah, lot so so because we haven't touched on it who's your favorite before performance in this movie i think leo is actually shockingly not shockingly good but like it goes sort of untalked about in his like great roles because he i feel he goes bigger from here and he gets more like not gimmicky but like he's doing a lot of accent work and he's doing a lot of like costumes and like intense things i think this is one of leo's best roles where he is just a guy no just the undisputed lead I think Leo is better where he isn't necessarily the lead or where he is very much playing off someone. Yeah. So, like, like Blood Diamond, he is a very strong central performance, but it's so much less interesting. It's just it's like him at his, like, most maximal. It's the more interesting ones where, like, I think he's really good in this. He's really good in Wolf of Wall Street. I do think he's really good in Django, even though they gave it to, to Christoph Waltz for that movie. But then you've got other things where, like, he does The Revenant yeah. and he's just literally putting himself through torture and it's so much less interesting I know and it's it's so sad that that's the movie that he won his Oscar for like I feel he wasn't angling for Oscars at this point of his career and it was just like a good fun movie for him and like I just really want to see Leo do like a comedy or something and I know Wolf of Wall Street's full of fucking jokes and all that but like I'd like to see him just do something just fun 
and just do something we wouldn't expect from him because he's done I mean, all is this, this shit now. But is this where I tell you to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I'm not watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the other but even is, that is like a big showy. Sure, sure, yeah. but it's it's still like it still it leans funnier than yeah. dramatic. Okay, but you know, I just I'm glad he finally won it. You know, like he got yeah. it out of this way. But yeah, I think he's really good in this. Like he really sells the like the paranoia and the like. Like I think he described it as like he's just constantly about to have a panic attack, and like I think he sells that. Really 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 well and I think he's got great chemistry with everyone and yeah and and like the reason he so Warner Brothers didn't want to put him ahead of his co-stars for lead so they submitted him for Blood Diamond instead and he didn't want to submit himself uh, for supporting because he didn't want to go against his like fellow cast members and then I guess Mark Wahlberg's like fuck that I want an Oscar <laughs> so he went for it and it's like Warner didn't want to like create any awkward politics with Nicholson or whatever or Damon so they didn't do it for him and then he himself was like ah, I don't want to compete with you I just I think that's a really nice little thing about it says a lot about how studios work it says a lot about who Leonardo DiCaprio is and it says a lot about who Mark Wahlberg is yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's quite interesting in terms of like so in terms of what Leo's done mm. this is the third collaboration he's had with Martin Scorsese in a row oh Martin loves him he's his, it might, his might muse him, this is only the third movie he's done since Catch Me If You Can like, like for someone who is as big as Leo is like between Catch Me If You Can and this movie which is about four years he's done Catch Me If You Can he's done Gangs in New York he's done The Aviator and he's done this yeah. and obviously like he comes out with Blood Diamond later on this year mm. in 2006 but still like he still was one of the biggest actors in the world and yet he's only done like these four movies yeah I mean like I think Damon is like very just stable uh, and I, I don't think he's doing anything like massively showy it's just he's just got the part down and he what he is crucial to the plot he's a good little Boston boy. Yeah, yeah, and like, you know, Wahlberg is going full Wahlberg, and Sheen is. Martin Sheen, I feel he phones in a lot of his performances in the in his later I mean, career, yes, but... 100%, but he doesn't phone this one in. No, I don't think this it's is, this is, great. This is Alec Baldwin about a year before he does 30 Rock. Him and uh, him and Wahlberg digging at each other in that one scene I think is really good. Uh, we didn't say it at the time, but... Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the important question, do you think Jack should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor? Yeah, I think you so. Do, you, do, you do think. He's doing most acting, and that is often how the Oscars think. Most yeah. film, most acting. So, so here's, here's who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 2006. Mm-hmm. So Alan Arkin won for Little Miss Sunshine, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful role. He's fantastic. Jackie Earl Haley for Little Children, the movie based on the Tom Perota book. Jimon Honsu for Blood Diamond. Mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy for Dream Girls, who <laughs> yeah. almost won that. Yeah. The only issue is, is he decided to do... Is it Norbert? Yeah. Is that the movie that comes out in the, during the Oscar season? I think so. Don't hold things against people like that. <laughs> yeah, Norbert, Norbert comes out in in the run-up to the Oscars, and I think it plays drastically into why he didn't win. In the same way that the only reason Matthew McConaughey won his Oscar for what he did was because True Detective was airing on HBO during the voting season. Yeah. Eddie Murphy lost Dream Girls because Norbert came out when people were voting. For and then Mark Wahlberg for The Departed. So yeah. you, you'd swap I'd Jack. Put, for... I'd put Jack ahead of, of, of Wahlberg all day, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, okay. not that I, like, it's probably one of Mark Wahlberg's better roles. I don't think it's his best one. It's also not Jack's best, but I think it's still a better performance. That like Wahlberg's is a little bit safe. I don't know. I also probably would have... <laughs> 
I would have put Leo forward for for lead as well, but I'm not Warner Brothers, so I, I do want to give one final shout out because this this movie won four Oscars. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, and it also won Best Editing. And obviously, it was edited by Martin Scorsese's like longtime collaborator, film machine maker. Who, if we are talking about a feminine touch in any of these movies, mm. she is the person that that keeps these movies from being like yeah. too overpoweringly masculine. Yeah, I, I think like she is one of the all-time great film editors, and and her importance to Scorsese's kind of oeuvre. Edi- editing is such an unsung profession. If it's really, really, really good, you notice it. But a lot of the time, you only notice it when it's bad, and it's like yeah. it's like a thankless task. In like a lot like of ways. some people like stack up and go like, well, this movie's too long, therefore it's badly edited, which isn't what an editor's job is. And I think to say that this movie is badly edited is woeful because this movie is so clearly constructed, and so much of that. That has to come from the fact that the editing is so tight and good. And whilst there are things I would cut, and whilst there are critics who will say things like, overall to the department party, maybe it's nothing that would have been cured by losing Jack Nicholson at maybe half an hour. Yeah, I wouldn't lose um, them altogether, but yeah. <laughs> but but like, the thing is, uh, but that that isn't like what what that is doing. And this movie is so good in the editing, and I you can see why it won. And if any if anything, it's like the clearest, most logical winner out of kind of like all all the things that it won. Like even adapted screenplay, it's up against fucking Children of Men and Borat. <laughs> <laughs> this has been long and intense because it's a long, intense movie. So we'll do something less long, but still kind of quite intense. We are going to dip into to some Guillermo del Toro as we do Pan's Labyrinth so that should be lots and lots of dark twisted fun and somehow whimsical at the same time so that'll be good but until then go to entertherealworld.com go to Mike and Matt on SoundCloud like, comment, subscribe stop liking the fucking Blade podcast I was gonna, I was gonna say our aim is what we have to do is we have to make this Pan's Labyrinth episode better than the Blade 2 episode not difficult not difficult at all the worst I mean, thing I... ever recorded on this website I can try and tank the episode. If you can make it last less than 17 minutes or whatever the <laughs> fuck it was. But yeah, until then, Ben, will there be movies? If, if I actually did some research, I'd be able to say it in Spanish, but I didn't do any research. So, yes. Get your si. Spanish si. textbooks out, everyone. We will be si. grading you. Goodbye, everyone. So I didn't know.